Welcome to the 99 Topics for the CCFP Exam podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Brady Bouchard. Welcome to the third episode of the 99 Topics for the CCFP podcast. This week we'll talk about allergy. There's 10 key features in this topic, and I'll run through them here briefly. Key feature number one, in all patients, always inquire about any allergy and clearly documented in the chart and reevaluate this as needed. Key feature number two, clarify the manifestations of a reaction in order to try to diagnose a true allergic reaction, i.e. do not misdiagnose a viral rash as antibiotic allergy or medication intolerance. Number three, in a patient reporting allergy to foods, to medicines, or to environmental triggers, Ensure that the patient has the appropriate medication to control symptoms. Key feature number four, prescribe an EpiPen to every patient who has a history of or is at risk for anaphylaxis. Key feature number five, educate appropriate patients with allergy and their families about the symptoms of anaphylaxis and the self-administration of the EpiPen and advise them to return for immediate reassessment and treatment if those symptoms develop or if the EpiPen has been used. Key feature number six, advise patients with any known drug allergy or previous major allergic reaction to get a medic alert bracelet. Key feature number seven, in a patient presenting with an anaphylactic reaction, recognize the signs and symptoms, treat immediately and aggressively, and prevent a delayed hypersensitivity reaction. Key feature number eight, in patients with anaphylaxis of unclear etiology, refer to an allergist for clarification of the cause. Number nine, in the particular case of a child with anaphylaxis to food, prescribe an EpiPen for the house, car, school, and daycare, and advise the family to educate the child, teachers, and caretakers about the signs and symptoms, and about when and how to use the EpiPen. And number 10, in a patient with unexplained recurrent respiratory symptoms, include allergy in the differential diagnosis. So let's dive a little bit deeper into this. Number one, in all patients always inquire about any allergy and clearly documented in the chart and reevaluate this periodically. That one's easy, it's straightforward. Number two, clarify the manifestations of a reaction in order to try to diagnose a true allergic reaction and avoid misdiagnosis. So what is an allergy and how do we differentiate it? Um, if you dive deep back into medical school, you can probably recall that there are four types of hypersensitivity reactions. Um, allergy is just one of them, and specifically it is a type one or immediate reaction. It's IgE-mediated, and the reason we harp on about this is that it can be both fast in onset and it can be deadly. That said, most people who come to your clinic and say they have an allergy to a medication probably don't. Um, For example, the amoxicillin rash you get three days after taking amoxicillin is not an allergy. The rash you almost certainly take after getting amoxicillin if you're uh, infected with EBV is not an allergy. If a medication makes you feel funny... That's not an allergy. Perhaps importantly in your practice, if a medication doesn't work, that's not an allergy. An allergy is strictly an immediate reaction to an allergen mediated by IgE. In clinical practice, it's hard to differentiate this, um, but the immediate part we get. The IgE part, you can test, uh, you can do serum tryptase testing, um, but that really doesn't change your clinical management. Allergic rhinitis is a common manifestation of allergy. Uh, so sneezing or watery eyes, especially for airborne allergens like pollen. An urticarial rash is a common manifestation, especially for contact allergens like peanut butter. 
And then there are more worrying signs that are on the continuum leading to anaphylaxis. So tongue swelling or angioedema, bronchoconstriction, so a cough, a strider, a wheeze, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, hypotension. So key feature number three, in a patient reporting allergy to foods, to medications, or environmental allergies, ensure that the patient has the appropriate medication to control symptoms. For non-life-threatening allergies, aka with no history of anaphylaxis, antihistamines can be used if they work, especially useful for pyritic urticarial rashes. Um, not sure why bronchodilators are mentioned here, as there's a whole topic under the 99 topics to deal with allergic respiratory issues, namely asthma. At this point, let's just mention that bronchodilators are useful for respiratory symptoms. Nasal steroids work well if it's primarily, primarily allergic rhinitis, but take a few days to kick in and thus are generally more useful prophylactically. You can try sodium chromoglycate or chromulin. It's the brand name. It's a mast cell stabilizer, uh, especially useful in eye drop form for watery eyes. If you have a patient with really severe symptoms, you can try a tapering course of oral steroids, but of course you shouldn't do this routinely. Um, most importantly for patients reporting allergy is avoidance of possible triggers. And a trigger diary is really useful if this is a new allergy or if the allergy is unknown. Key feature number four, prescribe an EpiPen to every patient who has a history of or is at risk for anaphylaxis. The World Allergy Association grades allergic reactions on a five-point scale. One to two are mild and involve cutaneous symptoms without airway compromise. Maybe a bit of wheeze, maybe some abdominal cramps and vomiting. If they have two systems involved, so wheeze plus vomiting, this is anaphylaxis. Grade three is moderate and involves some level of airway compromise. So either asthma not responding to a bronchodilator or angioedema of the larynx, tongue, or uvula. This is anaphylaxis as well. And then grade five is death. So in the case of serious reactions, it's easy. If they've had an anaphylactic episode or a grade 4 on the scale, they get an EpiPen to carry with them, full stop. For others, it's less clear-cut, and I haven't found any good guidelines around this. Feel free to suggest them if you find them. In general, you should err on the side of providing an EpiPen, as IM epinephrine given in anaphylactic doses has essentially no serious risks. A reference for that is in the show notes as well. If a patient has a definite reaction to even a trace exposure, they should probably get an EpiPen as well. Um, it'd, it'll be difficult for them to avoid a trigger. Certain allergens are likely to provoke severe reactions as well on re-exposure. Um, some of these include peanuts, fish, shellfish, egg, uh, insect stings, and latex. They, these patients should probably get an EpiPen as well, even if it's a first mild reaction. As well, those with poorly controlled asthma and any reaction at all should probably get one, as most fatal allergen exposures are in patients with concomitant asthma. Key feature number five, uh, educate appropriate patients with allergy and their families about the symptoms of anaphylaxis and the self-administration of the EpiPen, and advise them to return for immediate reassessment and treatment if those symptoms develop or if the EpiPen is being used. So Anaphylaxis Canada has an excellent PDF copy of their emergency plan for both EpiPen and Allerject, which are two, the two uh, epinephrine auto-injectors in Canada. I'll have a link to that in the show notes. The Anaphylaxis Canada emergency plan describes the signs and symptoms of anaphylaxis, and it's important to coach parents and emphasize the safety of the epinephrine auto-injectors. It's also important to mention that 100% of the time after using the auto-injector, they need to visit the emergency department. 
um, both to get a new prescription for the EpiPen, but also to make sure that they're not going to have a delayed hypersensitivity reaction, or there's always a risk that the initial reaction has only been partially treated. Number six, advise patients with any known drug allergy or previous major allergic reaction to get a medical alert bracelet. Um, this is $5 a month for patients to join. It's a non-profit organization. I think every med student and resident and certainly practicing physicians have seen the medical alert bracelet. Um, it's useful to give that immediate medical history to emergency attending physicians. Key feature number seven, in a patient presenting with an anaphylactic reaction, recognize the signs and symptoms, treat immediately and aggressively, and prevent a delayed hypersensitivity reaction through observation and adequate treatment i.e. with steroids. So what is anaphylaxis? It's a severe, life-threatening hypersensitivity reaction, by definition mediated by IgE and histamine release, but in the moment you're not going to worry about that. Anaphylactoid reactions present the same, are treated the same, but are non-IgE mediated. It's only ever discovered in hindsight through serological testing. Usually anaphylaxis occurs in the context of a potential or known trigger, so food, medication, or insect sting. And why do we care about anaphylaxis? Because patients die from it. It's about 2% mortality in children. In food reactions, this is uh, probably higher. Deaths from food reactions usually occur due to airway compromise. And with insect bites, it's usually due to distributive shock or hypotension. So how do you recognize it? It's not always the classic presentation of angioedema and urticaria with airway compromise but obviously that's the most important complication. There are three different criteria that define anaphylaxis from the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, but I like to simplify it even further. The KISS principle applies in moments of crisis. Anaphylaxis is acute onset of illness, aka minutes to hours, with skin or mucosal involvement, so hives, itch, flushing, lips, tongue, or mouth swelling, and at least one of the following, respiratory compromise, or hypotension or other signs of hypoperfusion. Essentially, it's involvement of two or more body systems with symptoms that could be attributable to anaphylaxis. A second criteria to consider is a reduced blood pressure or hypotension after exposure to a known allergen. So they define it as less than 90 systolic or 30% reduction from baseline. Another note to mention is that a sense of impending doom is a common symptom that you should consider. And the most important point out of this whole podcast is have a low threshold to treat. Adrenaline or epinephrine, given IM at anaphylactic doses, is essentially without serious side effect. If in doubt, give it. The dose is 0.3 to 0.5 milligrams in adults, so 3 to 5 mils or half of a cardiac uh, mini-jet, 1 in 10,000 mini-jet, or 0.01 milligrams per kilogram in kids. I have a reference for the safety of epinephrine in the show notes as well for those interested. Make sure to give the adrenaline IM, always IM, never IV. Give it in the lateral thigh as well. It's the best and most consistent absorption from that site. Then get IV axis, give fluid bolus if they're hypotensive, oxygen by massive hypoxic with airway compromise. Give the hydrocortisone at this time IV and an antihistamine IV as well. After the first dose of adrenaline, try to get some collateral history. If you, have, if you have an anaphylactic patient with a history of asthma, especially if it's uncontrolled, mortality is significantly higher. You need to be more aggressive with these patients and consider early use of nebulized adrenaline in addition to the IM adrenaline. 
Five minutes later, if there's still evidence of airway compromise or hypotension, you can give another dose. After that second dose, you should really be setting up for an adrenaline infusion, which you'll start at the five minute mark after the second dose if needed. Then you need to prevent the rebound or biphasic reaction, which occurs in about 20% of adults. It usually recurs between one to eight hours post-event, but it can occur all the way up to 38 hours or more afterwards. One third of the reactions can be more severe than the initial reaction. How do you prevent it? So patients with anaphylaxis should be observed in the emergency department for at least six hours post-episode in all cases to catch the majority of these biphasic or rebound reactions. They should receive steroids and antihistamines, although the evidence is limited for that. And they should be admitted if the reaction is severe for observation for a longer period of time. So if they don't respond to the first dose of epi, they should probably be admitted. If they have uncontrolled asthma, or if they were hypotensive in the episode, they should also be admitted. Key feature number eight, in patients with anaphylaxis of unclear etiology, you should refer to an allergist for clarification of the cause. This one's straightforward as well. Patients should have, in all cases, left the emergency department with three things after anaphylaxis. They should have advice to avoid the allergy if identified, they should have a prescription for an EpiPen, and they should have a referral to an allergist. Key feature number nine, in the particular case of a child with an anaphylactic reaction to food, prescribe an EpiPen for the house, car, school, and daycare, advise the family to educate the child, teachers, and caretakers about signs and symptoms of anaphylaxis, and about when and how to use the EpiPen. This is another straightforward point. Make sure to remind the parents of two things here. The EpiPen is safe when used correctly and should be used earlier rather than later if they think anaphylaxis may be occurring. And if they use the pen, they need to follow up with their GP or in hospital because of the risk of the relapse or biphasic reaction. And last but not least, key feature number 10. In a patient with unexplained recurrent respiratory symptoms, include allergy in the differential diagnosis. So this one's relatively self-explanatory as well. In children, asthma and general atopy should be right at the top of your differential for recurrent respiratory symptoms. If you're unsure, you can consider referral to a pediatrician. If you think they have asthma and are over, over the age of 5 to 6, uh, probably 5 in girls and 6 in boys, then you can consider obtaining pulmonary function tests because they can usually follow those directions at this age. And that wraps it up for allergy. Next week we'll be talking about anemia. 